0: Good morning, Revelation Church. How's everybody doing? Yeah, let's try that again. Good morning, Revelation Church. Good morning. All right. I don't know why, but I feel like we need to pray as we uh, start into the scripture this morning. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we're able to uh, open your word together as a community, Lord God. Uh, this is not a time about uh, what fun words I can share, but instead, Lord, this is about you and your word and your gospel, Lord God. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of everyone here and that it would be something that would be go beyond this morning, that it would be something that we, we reflect on throughout the week, Lord God, as we pursue you pray these things in your great name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're in Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. It's on page 870 in the Pew Bible in front of you. So this uh, week for the Lynch family has been pretty rough. Uh, Some of you might know, uh, we ended up in a situation where our beloved cat, Oliver, ended up getting ran over. And so we lost our cat. And probably the toughest situation of the whole scenario was my four-year-old Acadia asking the question, why does Oliver have to go? So along that same line, just thinking about that over the last couple days, I think it's evident that what we talked about last week The idea that there's something inside of us, there's something about this world that's off. But ultimately, Christians have faith that one day Jesus will make all things new. It comes from Revelation 21. So there's a faith. What is faith? I'd like to start out just kind of talking about faith for a minute. And what better way to do that than through a Google search of what faith quotes are out there. So I want to share some with you and just show you what that rabbit hole looks like. First, faith is believing in something when common sense tells you not to. That comes from the movie Miracle on 34th Street. So faith isn't common sense, isn't logical. Well, in this situation, if you think about what faith is in, Santa... Now we have kids, so I won't share any more beyond that, but there you go. Next one, I have great faith in fools. My friends call it self-confidence. That's Edgar Allan Poe. So there's a faith in oneself. Somehow everything will fall into place. It's an unknown quote, but that's just a leap of faith. You're just jumping out there, lackadaisical, walking around saying, everything will work out eventually. No reason for it to, but it will. So we're not really getting all that close. Here's an interesting analogy faith is like Wi Fi, it's invisible, but it has the power to connect you to what you need. Okay, interesting. Now we'll turn the corner a little bit with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Now, faith, in the sense in which I am using I'm here using the word, is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. So there's something about faith that is logical, and it's something that we should hold on to regardless of our emotions. So kind of keep that in mind as we move through the passage this morning. There's lots of definitions of faith. We use faith in a lot of different contexts. For this morning, I want to share one with you. It's complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So there's a trust component or a confidence. I trust that this person will do what they say they will do. And ultimately, faith is the... main subject for this morning. As you can see in verse 28, let's look at verse 28 together. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done as you, for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. So there's a great faith that Jesus identifies in this woman. This is something that we as Christians should desire as well as a great faith. So now that we have a good idea of what faith is, and we are focused on our key verse there, let's set this stage for this meeting between Jesus and this woman. Starting in verse 21. It says, When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. So Tyre and Sidon are northwest of Galilee where he was in his ministry last week. He has moved to the northwest to Tyre and Sidon. And you can think about it, it's on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So you have the Mediterranean Sea, it's on the east coast side of that. He's left Jewish territory and moved into a Gentile area. He's done this before, usually to rest. He doesn't specifically go to these areas for ministry, but typically ministry does happen. He may also be avoiding Herod and the Jewish leaders. And this is the context in which he has ended his initial ministry in, the, in Galilee. He's going to take some time away. He's going to kind of skirt his way down the Mediterranean Sea coastline And then come to chapter 16, verse 21, that's when Jesus starts moving towards Jerusalem where he'll suffer, die, and rise again. So Jesus has withdrawn to this Gentile area and this is where he meets this woman. So let's look at verse 22. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. So this is a Canaanite woman. This would be somebody that is far outside of the covenant between God and his people. A Canaanite would be somebody from present-day Lebanon, Syria area. And if you recall in the Old Testament... God called the Jewish people to be set apart. In Genesis chapter 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He promises him the land of Canaan. He also promises him many offsprings. He will turn Abraham into a great nation. So you have the covenant with Abraham, and then you have these Canaanite people that were not part of the covenant. Actually, in Deuteronomy 20, it talks about God commanding the destruction of the people in the land of Canaan. So you have these people that are inside the covenant, descendants of Abraham, which would be the line in which Jesus comes, and people outside the covenant, everyone else. In this case, it would be the Canaanite woman. The idea of... Inside the covenant and outside the covenant will become more apparent and more important as we go through this story. But in this gospel, Matthew is using the word Canaanite, word on purpose. They were on the outside. However, in this situation, Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God. And there's going to be a difference that comes with that and that this covenant is no longer just for the Jewish people or the descendants of Abraham, but for everyone. And God shows us, or Jesus shows a small glimpse of that in this interaction with the Canaanite woman. So she's got one strike against her. She's a Canaanite. Second, she's a woman. Many of you are aware that a woman in this cultural context, this kingdom, this earthly kingdom, would, be, would not be highly valued. However, in the kingdom of God, women are highly valued. You can see from this example that we're reading right now, there's also Mary Magdalene that accompanied Jesus in his ministry. There's a woman taken in adultery, John 7. There's a woman at the well, John 4. And most importantly, Jesus reveals himself to a group of women first after his resurrection. So the, the kingdom of Jesus is ushering in a new paradigm. It's very countercultural. Because this woman, is, being a Canaanite and being a woman, she's very far down the list if you were to rank people. If anyone was deserving of a relationship with God... This would not be this person. However, she is credited with great faith. So let's talk about that. And with that, I have four points regarding great faith. One, it's in the right object. Remember our definition in someone or something, in this case, Jesus. There's a sense of repentance, a change of direction, reverence, a demonstration of deep respect, and fourth, persistent, continuing regardless of the obstacles that are placed in front. So first, faith is in the correct object. So some of you are what they might call outdoorsy. So let's imagine that there's a group of people that are mountain climbing. And as they're mountain climbing, There's an accident, and two people fall into a crevasse. While in that crevasse, one person says, I believe, I have complete faith that this rock here will hold me. The person steps out in faith, the rock gives way, and the person falls. The other person has little faith. says, I think I understand, and I think that this rock will support me, I'll go ahead and make that leap anyway. Makes a step and is rescued. So in that scenario, it's not about how much faith you have. It's about what your faith is in. So let's take a look at verse 22 here. So you can see that she calls... Jesus, Lord, Son of David. Matthew establishes Jesus as the Son of David in the very first verse of the Gospel. It says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Now I'm going to nerd out just for a quick second, but I find this kind of fascinating, and I hope you do too. But the term of the son of David is actually used seven times in the book of Matthew, okay? There's an eighth time which refers to Joseph, and that's just identifying his lineage. But what's interesting is it's used seven times. And seven, there's something specific about the number seven that's kind of fascinating. Four thinking of the four points of the earth, north, south, east, west, and then three, the Trinity of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So you have three and four make seven. Now the son of David is mentioned seven times. And the son of David, or the Messiah, as promised back in the Old Testament, will be the one that brings heaven and earth back together. So Matthew, in his usage of the son of David, is not only just saying it explicitly, but he's also using it in an implicit way. Kind of a cool idea. I thought that was neat. So Jesus is going to be, Jesus is the son of David. He is the one that will restore earth back to the way it was designed. And so ultimately, her faith is in the right object. Jesus, son of David. So first we have the right object. Then we have a sense of repentance in verse 22. She says, have mercy on me. She's crying out, have mercy on me. There's a change of direction. She probably heard what Jesus was up to. Eshbom, the god of healing for that culture, was obviously not working. Her da- daughter was demon-possessed. She might have gone to the pagan god, wasn't working, so she seeks out Jesus. She cries out to him. She didn't demand anything. Instead, she cries out for mercy. There's a sense of humility, accepting that what she was doing was not working, and so there needs to be a change of direction. Another interesting fact, the repentance in most situations, if we spend some time, reflecting on that, comes out of a place of desperation. This mother is desperate. Her daughter is demon-possessed. Her daughter is not the way she's supposed to be. I had a situation, Melissa and I, with Jaden when he was very young. We were out in the middle of nowhere at our grandparents' house, north of Spokane, way out there. He had a fever, ended up having a seizure. It's pretty, pretty crazy, pretty unreal when you're in that situation where you've lost complete control. You're in a place of desperation. And I feel like this is exactly where this lady is. She's at her wit's end. But in these situations, it's not that all of a sudden there's an awareness of Jesus. Jesus. And it doesn't make it, um, doesn't make the awareness less authentic. So in other words, people may argue that the only time that people turn to God is when they're in desperation. That doesn't negate the fact that you need God. You, you will always need God no matter what your situation is. It just becomes more apparent when you're in those situations of desperation, So she cries out to him, and yet Jesus is silent. Let's look at verse 23. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So this should be thought-provoking. She cries out to him. First, Jesus is silent. And then he responds. The disciples want Jesus to fix the situation and to send her on her way. But Jesus wants to bring her faith along in the situation. And Jesus responds in a way that she could definitely hear. So in verse 24, when he said, He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel that's directed at the disciples, but in a situation where she can most likely hear it. So what is this about? Jesus' mission at the time was primarily to the Jewish people. As discussed earlier, the descendants of Abraham were the people that were set apart by God to be in relationship with him. And remember that Jesus is still acting within the old covenant. A new covenant begins when Jesus dies and rises again. Let's take a look at Hebrews 9, verse 15. And what we'll see here, 9.15 is the new covenant Therefore, he is the mediator, speaking of Jesus, of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So Jesus will replace the old covenant with a new covenant through his death and resurrection. So this woman isn't disparaged by the, the silence of Jesus or the comment from Jesus. Instead, she presses forward. She is draw, Jesus is drawing her to great faith. So we have the right object, a sense of repentance. Now it's reverent. Look at verse 25 with me. But she came knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. She kneels down before Jesus. Notice the position. She is kneeling down. It's a place of inferiority. She says, Lord, help me. She acknowledges his power and her weakness. And Jesus responds with another challenging phrase. Looking at verse 26, he answered, It isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So as discussed earlier in this gospel, Jesus is the bread of life. The Jewish people are to receive this bread. The Gentiles are people that are inferior. They are considered the dogs in this scenario. If anybody else was in this situation, I feel like this might be a good point to give up and, turn around, go somewhere else. But she presses on. It's like a word battle. It would be easy for her to give up. But remember, we're moving toward the verse 28, great faith. So last is persistent. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So the, Jesus being the bread of life, just a small portion of him is enough. Remember, faith is not based on how much you know. It's about what your faith is in. Faith is knowing and responding. She may be on the outside, on the floor, but she has just enough to respond to Jesus in faith. So she knows enough, and then she responds. There's the knowledge, and there's the response. You think about the disciples on the other side. They are inside the covenant and have seen miracles. They've had parables explained, yet they are credited with what? Little faith. Jesus responds in Matthew 8, O oh, you of little faith. Their response is missing. They may see God, see him working, have knowledge of Jesus, but their response is not there. So they are of little faith. So we have great faith is in the right object. It's has a sense of Repentance, reverent, and persistent. we finally come to verse 28. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. This woman is a scrapper. She's pushed through the challenges that Jesus has placed in front of her. The whole purpose of that. And what Jesus is doing is to bring her along in faith. She, like the centurion in Matthew 8, both Gentiles are credited with great faith. I find that kind of interesting that the people that are supposed to be outside the covenant are in fact ones of great faith. In Ephesians 2, let's go ahead and jump back to Ephesians 2 starting in verse 11, the unity of Christ. So this is the bringing together. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the uncircumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, So, talking about the Gentiles being outside of the covenant and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus, or but now in Christ Jesus, you were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he has made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one man, one new man from the two resulting in peace. So this is the wall being broken down between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus does that through his work on the cross. The woman persevered through the challenges, for if she didn't, she wouldn't have been credited with great faith. Similar to what we as Christians are called to. Now, this is a little bit of a plug, but in our small groups, we're doing it, we're studying James, and I'll keep coming back to this. I love this verse: James one two through three. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So the challenges that were set before her created perseverance. So in summary, I just want to take a quick look at the four components of faith. But at the same time, kind of Show you the other side of it too. So, first, great faith is in the right object. It's not wishful thinking. I believe it will work out. But why will it work out? Because your faith is grounded in the correct object. I believe because I know Jesus, He is the object of my faith. There's a sense of repentance, it's not prideful. It's not for the Jews. It's not for the Gentiles. It's not for traditional America. It's not, I deserve this because of who I am. Instead, come with humility, acknowledging that you're not perfect. Next is reverent. God is the creator of the universe. There should be a sense of respect for who he is. Just let that sink in for a minute. The God of the universe loves you more than anything. That should create a sense of awe and wonder. How great is that? Amen? Amen. Last piece, component, would be persistent. Perseverance, because we're not simply controlled by our emotions. Did you know that emotions can lead you astray? I hear if you don't have the right perspective, then your emotions are not justified. I'll say that again. If you do not have the right perspective, then your emotions are not justified. Simple example. Someone is yelling at you while you're working on a project. What kind of emotions does that create? Annoyance, frustration. Later you find out that the person didn't have their hearing aids in. Now what emotions do you have? Empathy? Compassion? You didn't have the right emotions because you didn't have the right perspective. Your emotions may not necessarily be appropriate for the situation. We can't allow our emotions to control us when God is working in our lives. God might be doing something in your life. Let this be an encouragement for you. God might be doing something in your life that doesn't make sense. However, he has the right perspective in mind. He has eternity in mind, which we can't comprehend. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are the way, my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has a different perspective than we do. So when we look back at this story and kind of see those situations where God throws something out that initially might be a little offensive, maybe God's bringing us through a situation that is tough, we have to remember that God has the right perspective. He is good and He's in control of all things. So He can be trusted. If you're a believer and have faith in the right object, Jesus, it's the Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. All right, uh, have repented and turn your life toward emulating Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. Hold a reverence for God as Lord of your life. Let this story be an encouragement to you as you pursue great faith. If you're not a believer this morning and you want to know more, I encourage you to talk to somebody. Ask them about what is this great faith. Because remember, it doesn't require great knowledge. It's simply asking God to have mercy on you like the woman did in this story. Have mercy on you because you're not perfect, which is the standard set forth by God. And not meeting this standard puts you at odds with God which creates separation between you and him. The ultimate separation being death, which is the penalty for the wrong that you have committed. But Jesus, having died, took that penalty for you in your place. He rose again, defeating the penalty of death, unifying God and man for those that believe. The son of David, Messiah, and Jesus, unifying heaven and earth, like we talked about earlier, which was the intention from the beginning. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the peace that should bring us great joy, great excitement. It is amazing that Jesus would die for us because he loves us just that much. Now, I'll close with, I didn't finish my story about the cat. And I did that on purpose because, speaking of perspective, now while the, the cat died and we were very sad, there was something amazing that came out of it. I had to go to work, and so Alyssa's dad came it so happened that uh, Alyssa's car was in the shop, so she wasn't able to do anything. So her dad came and took Oliver and took him to the vet. And while he was there, there was a lady working the front desk that was having a conversation about the fact that she needed to get right with God, to get back into church. And it turns out that she actually went to Alyssa's dad's church. He's a pastor in Rathram. And as soon as she got done having that conversation with a coworker, Pastor Dan walks in, his cell phone rings, he answers it, "Hello, Pastor Dan." And voila. I'd like to think that it is a coincidence, but it's not. And the fact that it it may have created a situation where a lady and her husband are turning back their lives toward Christ makes it all worth it. How amazing is that? And with that perspective, it puts the whole situation in a completely different light. We may not necessarily always have that perspective, but remember, God has the right perspective. He is good and He loves you. So please keep that in mind this morning. Let that be an encouragement for you. And as we come to this time of communion, this is the time in which those that are believers take the cup. Take the cracker, piece of bread, back to your seat. Spend some time thinking about what Christ has done for you. And where are you in the spectrum of faith? Are you new? Have you been around for a little while? Have you completely turned your life toward Christ? Or are you somewhere in between? Let that sink in this morning. And then go ahead and take communion as you feel led. We'll go ahead and have the band come up and continue in song. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement and the example of great faith. And Lord, as we go about this week, just let this resonate in our hearts. And as we come to this time of communion, may we reflect on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He has brought in a new covenant that is for us, Lord God. It includes all of us. There is no longer a divide. There is no longer inside, outside when it comes to you, Lord God. But as we seek you and draw closer to you through the study of your word, we see that you are good, that you love us, that you have the right perspective, Lord God. And I just pray that uh, for those that are hurting this morning, Lord God, or going through trials, whatever might be going on in our lives, Lord God, that we keep the right perspective, knowing that you are in control and that you love us, Lord God. We thank you and praise you again for this time. Pray these things in your great name. Amen.